My name's Angelo and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm gonna break down the entire UFC Vegas 59 slash Ultimate Fighter Finale fight card. I'm gonna give you my picks, my predictions, and my bets for every single one of these fights. Before I jump in, we're gonna talk about bets. Some bets that I've already placed and there's some bets that I've placed that I haven't really talked about just yet. Go to wewantpicks.com, scroll to the top and click become a member. That will give you full access to all of our early bets, sometimes months in advance, so you can take advantage of those betting lines. We also give you full DraftKings ownership projections. We break down every single fight in detail, give you all of our picks, all of our bets, all of our fantasy plays, and all of the tools you could ever need to make money. It is $10 a month. That equates to $2.50 per week. So all you need to do is go to wealthpicks.com, scroll to the top, click become a member, and that will unlock our safety parlay. That parlay continues to hit. It's two, three, and four leg parlays that just continue to do well for us. Wealthpicks.com, scroll to the top, click become a member. After you do that, you're going to want some free money, right? So go to wealthpicks.com slash bets, sign up with any one of our betting partners, and we will send you 50 bucks. Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, I literally will send you 50 bucks. I have been paying hundreds of dollars per day because the volume is insane, but it's all good. $50, all you need to do is go to wewantpicks.com slash bets, sign up with any one of our five betting partners, make a deposit, and I will send you that money. Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, however you want it. And let's jump right in. We're coming off the heels of UFC 277, and full disclosure, I am filming this video a little earlier than I normally do, so if some of these fights have dropped, or there's some new fights that have been added that you don't see in this video, make sure you join our Tuesday night live stream where Jacob and I break down every single fight in full detail. And opening up UFC Vegas 59, we have Myra Bueno Silva taking on Stephanie Egger. Myra Bueno Silva is a pretty good striker. She's got solid power and pretty good kicks. She likes charging forward and throwing from there. She is a good grappler, but like so many others, the problem is she doesn't have very good wrestling. So even if she wants to get it to the ground to grapple, I'm not sure that she can. She's three, two, and one in the UFC, but her two losses hold up pretty well with decisions to Manon Faroe and Marina Moroz. She's coming off an exciting win over Yanan Wu, where she was taken down, but she controlled the striking and threatened with submissions. Stephanie Egger is a grappler who has solid power and sloppy but effective takedowns. She marches forward and looks to tie you up and then work the takedowns from there. She will typically hold you against the cage or muscle you to the ground. She's a decent striker as well, but her game plan is definitely to slow the pace and turn it into a grappling match. She's coming off that armbar win over Jessica Rose Clark where she was a two to one underdog and only needed to land 10 total strikes that entire fight. And this is a tricky fight because Marie Myra Brena Silva is the better overall fighter, but she can be taken down. Manon Farone, who's known as a striker, took her down twice. Montana De La Rosa took her down three times and Marina Moroz took her down twice. If Stephanie Egger comes forward with pressure and a wrestling game plan, she can have some of that same success. I do think I'm gonna go with Buena Silva here because yes, she was taken down in those losses, but she defended the hell out of a lot of takedowns as well. She defended 19 takedowns combined in those three fights. And I think she can do more of the same here. Obviously it's possible she can get taken down, controlled and lose the decision. But I do think her physicality and striking should get her the win here. So Myra Bueno Silva 
is the pick. And that takes us to another female fight. We have Corey McKenna taking on Miranda Granger in her return after a full year away. Corey McKenna is a very well-rounded fighter and really fun to watch. She literally does everything. She'll march forward, throw in ones, twos. Then she'll just back away, stay out of the pocket, throw Superman punches or head kicks to get back inside the pocket. I've seen her pick up double legs and slam her opponents. We've seen a ton of submissions from her. She's just very well-rounded. She can be hittable and she does need to clean some things up, but she's so tough and so busy that she makes it work. She's coming off the loss to Elise Reed where she was essentially outworked on her feet. She did have some success though with three takedowns and almost four minutes of control time. Miranda Granger is a technical striker who started her own combat sports career 26 years ago when she was only four. She's a very busy striker and even in her last loss to Ashley Yoder, she gave up more than eight minutes of control time but she landed 87 total strikes. So. When she has the opportunity, she lets her hands fly and she stays biddy, busy, biddy, 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 busy. She's very tall for the division, which helps her striking and keeps her at range, but it doesn't do her any favors in the grappling department. She's got a very upright stance, which just leaves her wide open for takedowns and shots to the hips and keeps her off balance in clinches. Miranda is coming back after more than a year and a half away, which always makes these breakdowns tricky. Has Miranda worked on her grappling? I don't know. Can she defend all of Corey's takedowns and keep it technical on her feet? We'll see, right? That's the, those are the big questions here, and that's the issue with the long layoffs. You don't know what you're going to get. If this fight stays on the feet, I think Miranda can outwork Corey the same way that Elise Reed did. But if Corey comes forward with those powerful takedowns, she should have the same success against Granger that Yoder did. I like Corey here. I love her pressure. I love her pace. But again, you just don't know what you're going to get with someone when they've been off for a year and a half, for a year, two years. You just don't know. Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? What have they spent that time doing? So Corey McKenna is the pick. I think the grappling will be the difference. Then we got Jason Witt taking on Josh Kanan. Jason Witt is a wrestler and grinder who's only looking for a takedown and submissions. He has no intention on engaging in a kickboxing match, and that's fine because his stand-up is just okay and his chin has seen better days. When he gets on top, and I'm saying when and not if, because he averages almost seven takedowns per 15 minutes. It's basically inevitable. He does have great control and pressure, and he uses that to pound away. He's not really going to hunt for a submission, but if you squirm to avoid those punches from top, he's going to sneak something in and work from there. He's coming off the loss to Philip Rowe, which is just literally the perfect window into who Jason Witt is as a fighter. He dominated the grappling. He had four takedowns, an entire round of control just to be hit and knocked out. Philip Rowe was only able to land eight strikes in seven minutes of fighting, and that's all he needed. Josh Kanan is a dangerous striker with very real power. He's coming off an incredible knockout on the Contender Series, which was ruled a no contest because of a USADA issue. He isn't just a grappler, though. Or, sorry, he isn't just a striker, though. He can grapple. He's got a Bree JJ brown belt, and he actively competes in grappling competitions. He's a very dangerous guy who has not really been to a decision in his professional career just yet. And it's a very straightforward breakdown. If Josh can defend the takedowns, he wins. If he can't, he's going to get grinded on. It's, it's very simple. He obviously has the power to knock Witt out, but will he be able to use it? Jason Witt's a grinder. He has the pace to just constantly come forward and shoot takedowns. In his decision over Brian Barberena, he attempted eight 
15 takedowns. And that's just an insane pace. I think the biggest issue for Witt is that even if he can dominate the wrestling, he can't make one small mistake because one mistake against Philip Rowe cost him that fight. And he was well on his way to dominating. So everything in me wants to pick Witt. You guys know I love picking these wrestlers, but Josh is wild. He hits hard. He's young. I definitely think Witt can take him down and grind him out for three full rounds, but I do worry that that one punch is going to end the whole thing just like it did against Philip Rowe. So I'm going to go with Josh Kanata on the picks. I don't know what I'm going to do with bets. I'm probably going to stay away from this one as far as a bet is concerned. The only thing I'm probably going to do when it drops is Bet Online has now added prop bets for who will get more takedowns in this fight. 100% that's going to be Jason Witt, without question. If there's zero takedowns, it's a push. And, and if you bet on the person who actually ends up getting more, you win. Even if it's minus 800, it's free money. We did it with Muhammad Makayev, and we got our money back with Jack Hermanson, our money back with Curtis Blades. It's essentially free money. So I'm definitely going to play that when those lines drop. Those drop on Tuesdays. So as soon as that drops, I'm going to hit that. If you want to do the same, go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We have five different betting partners. BetOnline is the only partner that lets you bet on who you think is going to get more takedowns in a fight. Sign up, make a deposit. I'll send you 50 bucks as a thank you for supporting us and our partners. That takes us to Terrence McKinney's return, and he's taking on Eric Gonzalez. Terrence McKinney is long, powerful, and he likes to fight at range, and you're going to see a bunch of knockouts on his record, but don't let those knockouts fool you because he's a very good wrestler. He's a JUCO All-American and Michael Chiesa was actually his high school wrestling coach. He's a much better wrestler than Michael Chiesa is, though. He is coming off that disappointing loss to Drew Dober, but man, you can't just look at that L on tapology and be like, oh, well, Drew Dober beat him because he decimated Drew Dober. He dropped him about four times in that fight, and he looked absolutely incredible, but he essentially blew his load, and Drew, who was impossible to knock out, did what he did, and he just rose from the dead and then got it done. I left that fight respecting Drew's chin more and Terrence's striking more. I get, you know, Terrence lost that fight, but I left that being like, holy shit, Terrence McKinney's a very good striker. Look what he just did to Drew Dober. So we have not seen anyone get that close to stopping Drew Dober just yet. Eric Gonzalez is a long striker who does use the range well. He likes to pick you apart from distance and keep you there with long front and teep kicks he will take two steps back and then lean forward and throw a long jab if he can manage that range the whole time he can pick people apart but if you close that distance and you get him uncomfortable he doesn't have an answer eric's coming off that knockout loss to jim miller and the bookies have decided if eric loses to jim miller he definitely loses to terrence mckinney because he is a plus 675 underdog yes terrence is coming off that tko loss to drew dober but again it was insane what Drew was able to survive. There's no way Eric can survive that same onslaught. I expect Terrence to come out, probably be a little more reserved, right? He's coming off that, 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 that was bad, that knockout or that stoppage. So he'll probably be a little more reserved, but he's absolutely the pick. And as long as his price doesn't get too inflated, he should be a parlay piece as well. But he is very expensive and you don't want to drag your odds down. So if he's at minus six, great. Minus nine, leave them out of your parlays. That's just too much to drag everything down. Then we have Takashi Sato taking on Brian Battle. Brian Battle 
He's coming off that very dominant win over Treshawn Gore, which to most people was the true Ultimate Fighter finale. Brian's a good striker with solid volume and nice head kicks. He has shown us that he has solid ground game and he's never out of a fight. He averages more than one takedown per fight, but he does have a miserable 22% takedown accuracy. Takeshi Sato is coming off that short notice loss to Gunnar Nelson where he was taken down three times and basically just held down for eight minutes. Style-wise, he is a striker with solid power and well-timed strikes. He has pretty good volume and he really turns it on when he has you stunned. He can be hittable though and that's because while he's always moving his feet, he does not have really any head movement at all. Takeshi's two and three in the UFC, but his losses are quality losses, right? He lost to Bilal Muhammad, Miguel Baeza, and now Gunnar Nelson. And every time I watch a fight, I take notes, right? I use those notes to help me put these predictions together, assess fighter improvements, and just, you know, keep track of what's going on so I can accurately break down fights. My notes on Brian Battle from the Gore fight were literally, in quotes, very tough. Not amazing anywhere, but very busy striker. He is basically Caitlin Chikagian, constant noises and lots of volume while dancing and striking. Those were my notes. And with that being said, I think Brian can win this fight with his noises and his jabs. Sato is a solid striker, but I think the grinding style, the takedown attempts from battle, I think all of those are likely going to earn him a decision win. Then we got Ariana Lipsky taking on Priscilla Kachera. Ariana Lipsky is a solid striker with good grappling. She's coming off a solid win over Mandy Bohm where she doubled her strikes and defended all four takedowns. The key to that fight was defending the takedowns because it broke her two-fight skid where the takedowns were an issue for her. But she has decent grappling. The issue is she needs to dictate it, meaning she needs to be on top to implement her will. Off her back, she can definitely struggle. Priscilla Kachera has heavy pressure and throws heavy punches. She's coming off a very sketchy win over Ji Yan Kim, where she landed 70 strikes fewer and had a total of less than 30 seconds of control time. She's primarily a striker, but she does have okay takedown defense at 65% but a low takedown accuracy of 33%. She has very real power for the division, but she can be KO or bust. If you look at the stats, you'll notice Priscilla's striking differential of about four to seven, which means for every four significant strikes that she lands, she's hit seven times. If you look closer at her losses, she was absolutely dominated on her feet with her opponents essentially doubling her strike totals. I like Ariana Lipsky in this fight because without a real takedown threat, she should be able to get her hands going and touch up Priscilla the same way that she did Mandy Bohm. She's going to need to stay busy and keep her feet moving to avoid the big power, but I trust her footwork and her volume to get this done. So Lipsky is the pick, and I like this fight to go to a decision. Then we got Sam Alvey, one of the most likable guys in all of MMA, and he's fighting Michael Ojechuk. Michael Ojechuk is a very good striker with fast hands and tons of pressure. He has power, but not a ton. Where he really separates himself from the pack is with his speed because he's incredibly fast and he literally beats most of his opponents to the punch. He's dangerous on the feet, but he does have some grappling holes. He's coming off that loss to Dustin Jacoby, which was not a great look because Dustin took that fight injured 
threw almost no leg kicks at all, and he was still able to win that fight and do some real damage. Sam Alvey gets a lot of leash with the UFC. He's on a pretty bad losing skid right now, but he is fun to watch, and he continues to get opportunities. He has deceiving power and very unorthodox striking. He can put you away with one of his weird looping shots and will always be in the fight. He's coming off that loss to Brendan Allen, which was surprising for two reasons. One, he won that first round. He looked very good, seemed to have Brendan in some trouble. And then two, he got rocked bad in the second round before he was submitted. And that's surprising because while he's on this miserable losing skid, he's always had a pretty solid chin. So the fear is, is that chin starting to go? Michael's a minus 500 favorite. And while I get that Sam Alvey hasn't won a fight since 2018, he's still a capable striker with three lifetimes worth of experience. Michael's going to be my pick here because even though he looked pretty bad in that fight with Dustin Jacoby, he's still lightning fast. And we saw that Sam Alvey's chin might be fading here. So I like McCall to touch up Alvey, stay on the outside, and survive any of those crazy Sam Alvey strikes that could potentially end his night. Then we got a couple of heavyweights. We got Augusto Sakai taking on Sergey Spivak. Augusto Sakai is a Muay Thai striker, which means... He likes to fight close and make this fight dirty. He's got a ton of power, but he's not very fast, right? He lumbers forward. He throws heavy. He puts up decent volume. He only has one single takedown in the UFC, and that was against Chase Sherman. We have seen him in fights where he should have wrestled, but he didn't. He does, however, use the cage to lean on you, slow you down, and rack up that control time. He's on a three-fight skid with losses to Tuivasa, Rosenstruck, and Overeem. Sergey Spivak is a heavyweight grappler who is a much better hammer than a nail. He has great ground and pound with solid takedowns. He has an okay submission gain, and he's a capable striker. He does not have KO power, though, but he does have a decent jab and solid volume. He's coming off the destruction of Greg Hardy in March, where he got three takedowns and a stoppage win in less than half a round. And this fight's going to come down to Sakai's takedown defense. If this entire fight is a kickboxing match, then I think Spivak could potentially be in trouble. He was put out by Walt Harris and Tom Aspinall on his feet. As of right now, Sakai has a solid takedown defense of 68%, but he has been taken down three times by Alistair Overeem in that loss. I think Spivak comes out and fights Sakai the same way he did to Ivasa when he beat him back in 2016. Cage presser and diving at the legs. I see Spivak getting takedowns and will win with a potential stoppage because Sakai off his back has no movement and he just takes whatever you give him. It's If you can take Sakai down, you could have a pretty good night. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with Sergey Spivak. I'm probably going to throw a money line bet on Sergey Spivak in this fight. Then we have what basically would be the co-main event if this wasn't the ultimate fighter finale. We've got Vicente Luque taking on Jeff Neal. Vicente Luque is pretty good everywhere. He's got power in his hands, solid wrestling defense, and fantastic submissions if it gets to the ground. At the end of the day, he is a striker, and he's looking to bang it out on his feet. His 61% takedown defense may seem low, but since 2017, he has only been taken down nine times total, and his only loss in those run was to Bilal. So all of these takedowns in some of these fights, he's still winning those fights. Just like Nico Price, Michael Chiesa, he wins those fights even though he was taken down. Jeff Neal's a very good striker with very real power, solid volume, and solid takedown defense. He is not the most technical, but with his power and his aggression, he doesn't need to be. 
Jeff likes to dictate the pace, range, and exchanges. If he can stay at kickboxing range and use those kicks to set up his punches, he will have a ton of success. But if you get in his face and you tie him up, he gets frustrated and exhausted. He's coming off a close win over Santiago Ponzinibbio where he actually landed fewer strikes and he was taken down. Leading up to his fight with Bilal, I think Luque was pretty overhyped. He was on a hot streak and he looked incredible, but people just chose to ignore the fact that he had some grappling holes that were exposed in that Kiesa fight. I just don't think that matters here, though. I don't see Jeff Neal working for takedowns. He only has three takedowns in his entire UFC career, and I don't see that changing here. So that won't mean that this is going to be a striking match, and strike for strike, I like Luke to win. Not only does he have better striking differential, but he's got cleaner footwork, better speed, and higher volume. So again, pretty confident in Vicente Luque to get this done. And that takes us to the first of two Ultimate Fighter finales. And full disclosure, I don't watch the Ultimate Fighter. So all of this insight is from watching tape and doing research, not from watching the Ultimate Fighter. So I don't know if that matters, but I've got none of the drama from the house to factor in here. But we got Juliana Miller taking on Brogan Walker. Juliana Miller is an inexperienced fighter. She's only got three professional fights, but she is focused and very intense. She talks about her head state in interviews. And while many people will say, I'm willing to die in there, you really get the impression that Juliana is. She's not the most skilled fighter, but she will work for your money. She's very aggressive and she comes forward immediately. While she can be wild on her feet, she is a grappler at heart. If she can get you to the ground, she has impressive scramble skills and she could snatch things up in transitions. On the other side of that coin, we got Brogan Walker, who is one of the most experienced fighters from that tough house. She has been a professional since 2014. And it's not just that she has been fighting for a while. She has fought high level of competition on the regional scene. Her only two losses are to UFC standouts Aaron Blanchfield and Pearl Gonzalez. But it's not as just, you know, it's not like she's just beating all the regional fighters but then losing to the good ones that make it to the UFC because she has a solid win over Miranda Maverick from back in 2018. Style-wise, Brogan is a grappler. But while she got her BJJ black belt three years ago, she does consider herself a striker at heart and is well-rounded enough to fight anywhere. And I got to go with experience here. While I love Juliana's intensity, her pressure, and her will to win, you just can't make up for high-level experience. I see Brogan being more composed, weathering the storm, not panicking, and being able to impose her own will. Fighting in the tough house is definitely stressful, but it is not nearly as stressful as fighting on a real card with a full lineup. So yes, it's still in the apex, but it's an entirely different feel. And I think Juliana could potentially enjoy that moment a little too much. Brogan's going to be the pick here, but I'm likely just going to enjoy these tough finale fights without betting on them. Then we've got Zach Pagwa taking on Mohamed Uzman. Zach Pagwa is a light heavyweight. He moved up the heavyweight for the Ultimate Fighter finale or the Ultimate Fighter season and he's made his way to the finale but he's pretty undersized here. And to further complicate his UFC Ultimate Fighter experience, Zach and Muhammad have spent a decent amount of time training together in the past. Zach's a very strong wrestler who does not hide his game plan. He's got a low stance where he just pumps that jab, launches overhands and then takes shots. If his opponents overcommit to a strike, he's immediately under it and shooting. He can stand and bang as well, but that certainly isn't something he wants to do at heavyweight. Mohamed Uzman, as you know by now, is Kamaro Uzman's younger 
and much larger brother. He doesn't have the same wrestling background as Kamaru, but he is a clear that he's an athlete and athleticism runs through that family. He was a standout football player and he transitioned to MMA a little later in life. He's got nine professional fights and he has fought in some of the larger organizations outside of the UFC. Being Kamaru's brother has definitely helped him get some of these opportunities. But frankly, he shows up, he sticks to the game plan, and he's doing his best to make his own name. It's clear that Muhammad has had a high-level coaching because just a few years ago, he'd come charging across the cage, throwing bombs, bending at the waist for takedowns, and just relying on physicality. But now he's more composed. He'll sit behind the jab and just methodically work forward. He has very real power, and he can stay tough on the other side of a fight as well, meaning you can beat him up and he'll hang in there. And it's an interesting finale. Two guys have trained together in the past with differing styles. Usman, the much bigger, larger, stronger, more explosive fighter, and Pagwa, the more well-rounded fighter with a very clear game plan. So the question becomes, does size matter? Does Usman's physicality negate Pagwa's wrestling? I think it does. If you watch Pagwa's fight versus Terence Jacquez, 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 he was dropped, and he was dropped hard. I imagine that that exact same shot from Usman puts him out completely, but Usman has also had some issues with wrestlers in the past. Brandon Slales took him down and submitted him with relative ease, so it is a battle of the wills. I think it's a very slight, very slight lean towards Usman with the incredible power and the physicality. Pagua's the better overall fighter, but once you start working your way up in weight, that starts to matter less and less. And the gap starts to shrink when you're that much smaller than your opponents. Then we have the main event of the evening. Tiago Santos continues to get main events. And this one is against Jamal Hill. And at one point, Tiago Santos was the hardest hitting guy in the weight class. But ever since his loss to John Jones and a couple of injuries later, he just hasn't had that same power. He only has one win in his last four fights, and that was a rough one against Johnny Walker. He's still fast as hell. He still has very real power and absolute savage kicks, though. A lot of people think he beat John Jones in that fight, and he did have success with a couple of busted-up knees. We watched him almost put Glover's lights out with that same power, but then he slowed down, and he just lost to the more dominant grappler. He beat Johnny Walker, but he did not look good at all. He only landed 44 strikes in 25 minutes. He seemed slow and labored in a pretty boring fight. But let's not forget, he is a BJJ black belt and may use it in this fight considering Jamal's only loss is to Paul Craig by submission. Jamal Hill's a tall, rangy striker who comes forward and picks his shots really well. He has an incredible seven to three and a half striking differential, so he doubles his opponent's strikes. He's primarily a boxer, but he does have solid leg kicks. He typically doesn't have incredible power, but he has a ton of stoppage wins because of his accuracy and volume. His opponents end up being a step behind him, which forces them to take risks, which then gets them cracked in the face. And given what Tiago Santos has become, we got to go with Jamal Hill here, right? But there is something to be said about championship round experience. Jamal has only been to a decision four times, and he's gotten very comfortable staying in the first round these last few years. Tiago Santos is older, slower, less dangerous, but has proven to be durable. If Tiago Santos stays tough, continues to throw, and stays fresh, it's not completely out of the question that he could have some success later in this fight. 
I can't really bet on or pick fights based on that if, you know, if you can wear them down later, survive logic. So Jamal Hill is going to be the pick here, but I'm very interested to see how this fight goes if we start getting to the championship rounds. Guys, that is the full card. Make sure you like, subscribe, do all those things. Join our free Discord. We have a Discord. It is 100% free, and it's only there for you guys to share your insights, share your thoughts, and let's all work together to get rich. Become a premium member. Full access to all of our bets as early as we make them. Go to wewantpicks.com. Scroll to the top. Click become a member. I'll see you guys later this week for all of our content.